Welcome to the markets. Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, April 5. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson, here with our weekly look at market activity from Wall Street to the agricultural commodities. And as we started the first week of the new quarter, the stock market continued to show pretty good strength. The stock market today rising and uh, helped by better than expected job growth in March. That eased concerns of an economic slowdown that have periodically roiled the financial markets over the past year. With Friday's gains, the benchmark S&P 500 has closed higher for seven trading days in a row. That's its longest winning streak since October of 2017. And the Labor Department said non-farm payrolls rose by 196,000 jobs in March. That beat estimates of a 180,000 job increase. And that data provided reassurance two weeks after the yield curve between three-month Treasury bills and 10-year notes briefly inverted. That's, as you've heard me say, is commonly viewed as a sign of an ongoing and oncoming recession. The yield curve inversion really disturbed people, freaked them out, so to say, got them thinking about a recession. According to Andrew Simmons, who's an analyst with Morgan Stanley Investment Management, he said data like Today's takes that off the table. However, wage increases slowed in March, leaving the data broadly supportive of the Federal Reserve's decision to suspend its three-year campaign to tighten monetary policy. And so for the day, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up just 40 points, fairly quiet day, ended the day and the week at 26,424. The S&P 500 gained 13 points to end at 28.92, and the NASDAQ composite added 47 points to end the day at 79.38. The uh, weekly changes, the S&P up to a little over 2%, the Dow added nearly 2%, and the NASDAQ gained 2 and 3 quarter percent for the week. On this day, energy stocks jumped 1.7%. That was the biggest percentage gain among S&P 500 sectors as oil prices firmed after the release of the U.S. jobs data and on expectations that conflict in Libya could tighten the supply. Next week, of course, we start to get some corporate earnings, and we'll talk about that in a moment or so. But before we do, let's take a look at the uh, closing oil price today. Oil prices up 1.5% thanks to that strong employment data. Brent crude futures settled at $70.34 a barrel. That's up 94 cents. The U.S. crude settled at $63.08 a barrel. That was up 98 cents a barrel. Uh, in the uh, session today on oil. So let's take a look at the week ahead because we do have uh, the beginning of the earnings report season. 
but before that, Wednesday, the Federal Reserve will release minutes from its last Federal Open Market Committee meeting on March 19th and 20th. On the U.S. economic front, inflation data Wednesday probably show consumer prices gaining about three-tenths of a percent in March. Tuesday, the Labor Department scheduled to report job openings data that's expected to decline to 7,560,000 in January, down from 7,580,000 in December. And then on Thursday, another report expected to show U.S. producer prices gaining three-tenths of a percent in March. And also on Friday, the Labor Department will report on import prices, feeling that maybe they gain four-tenths of a percent in March. So now on to the uh, earnings report season. Levi Strauss Company will report results for the first quarter on Tuesday in its first quarterly earnings report after its return to the public market in March. Wall Street will be curious to see if Levi's sales and profit are benefiting enough from the surging popularity of denim to justify the optimism that surrounded its initial public offering. Boeing, of course, has been full of bad news for the last uh, three or four weeks. Boeing deliveries expected to fall in March and the first quarter of 2019, hurt by the worldwide grounding of its best-selling 737 MAX jets following the two deadly crashes in a span of less than six months. On Tuesday, investors will look for the impact of the groundings on Boeing's overall orders. J.P. Morgan Chase expected to report an increase in first quarter earnings on Friday next week, driven mostly by its investment banking unit. On Friday, Wells Fargo and Company expected to report a slightly lower first quarter profit compared to the year-ago quarter. That could be due to higher expenses and a drop in total loans. Number two U.S. air carrier Delta Airlines expected to post a higher profit and revenue on Wednesday, helped by a strong travel demand. Investors, however, will be looking at updates on travel demand and also the company's financial forecast. PNC Financial Services Group expected to report its first quarter results on Friday before the market opens. The regional bank expected to report an increase in uh, uh, in revenue. The regional bank uh, reporting a first quarter profit helped by higher interest income. Shaw Communications expected to post a second quarter profit on Tuesday compared with a year-ago loss. And executives from the five largest pharmacy benefit managers in the United States, including Express Scripts and CVS Health Corporation, will testify Tuesday before the Senate Finance Committee on Drug Pricing Issues. Disney will release details of its upcoming streaming service at an investors' meeting in Los Angeles on Thursday. 
So uh, getting underway with the earnings report season, and it'll be interesting to see the results with the uh, slowdown that we had at the beginning of the year in activity, economic activity. So it'll be interesting to uh, see what happens with that. That uh, U.S. employment rate that uh, we got today, well, let's look at some of the details. Accelerating from a 17-month low in March and uh, relieving fears of an abrupt slowdown in economic activity, but a moderation in wage gains supported the Fed's decision to suspend further interest rate increases this year. Milder weather boosted hiring in sectors like construction, but worsening worker shortages and lingering effects of tighter financial market conditions at the turn of the year left job growth below 2018's brisk pace. One analyst said this was a Goldilocks report with a rebound in job growth to calm fears of an imminent recession and wage growth that was solid enough without triggering inflationary concerns. The U.S. Central Bank last month halted its three-year campaign to tighten monetary policy, dropping projections for any rate hikes this year after lifting borrowing costs four times in 2018. The uh, economists polled by Reuters had expected payroll increase of about 180,000 jobs last month, so the report indeed did beat that number on expectations of uh, what economists were looking for. Average hourly earnings increased by a tenth of a percent in March, that coming after jumping four-tenths of a percent in February. And that lowered the annual increase in wages to 3.2%, down from 3.4% in February. The length of the average work week rose to 34 and a half hours from uh, 34.4 hours in February. And as a result of the rebound in employment, modest wage gains and more hours worked the aggregate weekly payrolls index. That's a proxy for take-home wages increased uh, half a percent last month. And the unemployment rate unchanged at 3.8% in March, close to the 3.7% that Fed officials projected will be by the end of the year. So that's what we're looking at as we move into the next week on Wall Street. And uh, we'll be taking a look at what's happened and what could happen in the agricultural commodity market. Because the spread of African swine fever in the pork industry across the world continuing to cause a great deal of concern for that industry. So when we come back, Max Armstrong will visit with Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services when we continue on the markets. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. 
Advance with confidence. Well, that uh, hog market situation has been an interesting ride. It isn't over yet, huh? Max, we don't think so. It was a real sharp rally, basically, from the recent lows in late February, early March. About a $25 rally and then a pretty hard setback. And now we appear to be heading back up at least to test the highs. And we're quite optimistic that uh, this is a real big story, a real big event. And we think uh, hog prices continue to go higher. The real big story is the disease problem in China. Is that all that is spurring the market? Well, that's the definitely the number one story, uh, most definitely. Uh, they have some real problems in China, and now it's spreading in, into Vietnam, and they've got some real problems in Vietnam. And you're talking about a part of the world that uh, has more than half of the world pig population and more than half of the world consumption. So this is a real serious situation. U.S. hog producers hopefully really stand to benefit. The Chinese have said very little, and they're still pretty mum about what's actually going on, aren't they? Max, they've reported a total of about 118 cases. I just picked up two new cases this morning. A total of 118 cases since August. Vietnam seems to be much more forthright. They first detected the disease in early March. They've already reported 556 cases. In just a little more than a month's time. That's correct. What about our uh, intelligence that our U.S. Department of Agriculture might have in, in watching this scene? Are we getting anything from other channels other than directly from the Chinese or the Vietnamese? Well, let me say it this way. I'm not getting anything. So, so the information, <laughs> And you're watching closely for anything that's given out of there. That's correct. The information is very tight-lipped, I, I think, uh, through all channels. And uh, I get uh, information from my other contacts, my sources, people who have actually been in China, people people who have seen how they raise hogs in China, people who told me when this first uh, story broke in August, they came back to me and said, Dennis, it's extremely unlikely they're going to be able to, to contain this disease. What do you say to someone who poo-poos the possibility of big Chinese pork imports? They, they might say, well, you know, the Chinese, and I've heard this from some people saying, ah, they're not going to need it that badly. They're not going to want it that badly. How do you respond to that? I think you have to understand the Chinese. You have to understand their form of government. You have to understand the way they live. You have to realize that their per capita pork consumption is almost twice that of ours in the U.S. You have to understand that as a their type of government, a communist regime, they uh, number one fear of the government is an uprising due to high food prices, basically people starving. There's 1.5 billion people, 1.6 billion people in China. They do not want to see prices skyrocket, especially pork prices. That is the staple. I don't think they will just shun pork and start eating beef and, and poultry. They can't afford beef. Poultry is available, but they prefer to eat pork. So substitution is unlikely. When would they likely come into the world market to buy then? We, we've seen some purchases, right? Small ones? Yeah, we've seen some activity, and I think it, it's probably just getting started and should really uh, accelerate, say, from this moment on or from the moment that the tariffs are, are, are reduced. We still have a tariff, or I should say the Chinese still have a tariff on U.S. pork. As we uh, pound out this trade negotiation, Hopefully, all tariffs will be removed, and that'll really open the door. I think that that'll lower our price of pork going to China by fifty percent, and I think that'll really open the door for 
for increased, if not very large, exports. Are there any signals from the Chinese, from their retail sector, that they're just about at a tipping point, where they're really going to need the pork to come in? Well, we know that prices are starting to increase, hog prices and pork prices, but China is such a large country, there's a lot of regional imbalances right now, where some areas have too much pork and other areas don't have hardly any pork, and that's because of the shipping uh, restrictions uh, on the on the pigs and on the pork in order to try, try to contain the disease. So it's extremely difficult to quantify exactly when and exactly how this will unfold. We are not the only pork producers in the world here in the United States, and I saw a comment from a, a processing industry executive in Brazil the other day saying that, yeah, they sure have their eyes on that market. What's the likelihood they could uh, get the lion's share of it? In other words, supply pork ahead of the United States there. I tell you, Max, the numbers are, are so startling large of what we're hearing that the potential losses are in China. Plus, this is going to be a longer-term situation. This is going to cripple their ability to produce pork, not only this year, but next year and probably the year following. The numbers are so large that everybody's going to be involved. No single country can provide the needs that the Chinese are going to require. Well, it begs the question about our ability then to fill the export channel with the needs that the Chinese might have. What are our limitations? One, one could imagine packing capacity might be one, well, even though we brought new plants online. We do have new plants online, but of course, uh, I mean, we're talking about a situation in which we currently export approximately 24% of our production. The numbers I am hearing, I could easily see our exports be boosted to above 30%, maybe 40%. It's, it's reasonable to assume at some point in the future this could stretch our exports to as much as 50% of production. That is, you know, we can only produce so much pork. This is really going to put a strain on the system, and it is going to lift pork prices substantially higher. I guess it begs the long-term question as we look at it here. I mean, will our industry ramp up dramatically as it has in the past to fill the demand? And will then all of a sudden out there some year down the road will we have this void in demand if the Chinese are back up producing their own pork again? Yeah, those are tough questions, Max. Uh, certainly down the road, and I'm talking five, ten years down the road, China will probably be a much more efficient producer of pork. This is going to force the small backyard, what they call the courtyard pork producer, completely out of business. And this will force them to increase their size of their farm and increase the technology, the biosecurity, the efficiency. Uh, ten years from now, China will be a much more efficient, biosecure pork producer than they are now. But, of course, uh, world population continues to grow. Uh, uh, protein, pork protein is such a high-quality value that the U.S. produces. You, you know, you, Plus, at this moment, there could be restraints on a, a rapid expansion. We've been expanding for several years now, but there is the threat that this disease will end up in the United States, and no lender wants to be aggressively lending money with that possibility. Really? So the availability of money for the pork sector to expand may be a limiting factor in our ability to step up and fill the new demand. We started to pick that up in the recent hog and pig report in which the summer farrowing intentions were at just 100%. In other words, kind of slowing down the expansion plans. And we were hearing that that was due to a, a, a lot of uh, limited credit uh, uh, availability. 
Are there any bearish factors out there for this hog market over the rest of this year? Is there anything looming out there that the producer needs to be aware of? Well, we certainly have to see tariffs removed. We still have uh, Mexican tariffs to contend with. We need that Mexican market. They continue to buy our pork, by the way, and pay the tariff. But we need these tariffs to be removed. We need trade to be opened up. We certainly need to, to not see the border, the southern border, sealed off and shut down. Uh, that would create all sorts of problems, especially with the pork trade, pork going into Mexico. Mexico is a huge buyer of hams, and in fact, they are our largest export customer right now. For hams? For pork in general. Oh, okay. Typically, it wavers between Japan and Mexico. Recently, Mexico has been the largest buyer of U.S. pork. So we need that export uh, market to be opened even more than it is right now, you're saying. Exactly right. What's your price expectations? Uh, Does it all hinge on that, for example, for the rest of this year? You hate to say that it does, but it does. This is the the big story of the year. I think this will be the big story of the next couple of years, uh, African swine fever. And does it continue to spread? Will it be continued? exactly what's the damage being done not only in china but vietnam's got 30 million pigs and like china pork is the staple so vietnam is going to be coming into the uh, uh, export market they will be importing pork they will have to but because of what this disease is doing to their hog herd that is the big story moving forward and i have no uh, upside targets in mind right now does the tide lift all boats does the beef market benefit from this well i think so max and i'm kind of alone on that there's a the, you might say most in the beef industry right right now are quite negative and certainly the packers seem to be kind of pulling a fast one right now just ahead of real good strong seasonal demand here in the u.s the packers are enabling themselves to buy cattle at lower prices sort of convincing everybody that this cattle market's in trouble yet we've got wholesale beef prices holding steady and in fact firming up we've got wholesale beef prices three percent larger than a year ago despite larger production so yeah i think that uh, if pork prices go sharply higher beef prices will not go sharply lower and upward pressure on retail prices for pork and beef is expected oh no most definitely you there is going to be some sticker shock especially in pork and we're going from uh, well ham values in february were at 10-year lows pork loin values were at 40-year lows and you're going to see that pendulum swing clear to the other direction and there will be sticker shock yes One would imagine this would drive a lot of poultry demand for chicken and turkey. Is that likely to happen? Well, I think it is, especially here in the United States, much more so perhaps than in China. Yeah, you will see some shifting of preferences there uh, as this uh, this, uh, supply rationing takes place, if it does take place, as I expect. Well, the substitution enthusiasm continue to grow. We saw the story the other day from Nestle that they're going to be driving their protein burger aggressively in Europe. I think they'll be doing a test also in St. Louis. Burger King is is doing more in this area. <laughs> I hearkened back to 40 years ago when I was in college. They were talking about the first soybean burgers that tasted like cardboard. I guess if you throw enough condiments on them, they're going to be okay. They're going to be presentable. But seriously, you know, you have food companies now targeting that segment of the consuming public. And will this help drive that? 
I think it could, uh, depending upon exactly how high prices go. That is going to be a segment that I think is probably going to be around and possibly even be necessary in the future as we uh, meet the challenge of feeding uh, an increasing world population. Occasionally, we get too much supply and we get too low of a price, but I think overall, over the longer term, that type of product will have its its place uh, at the grocery shelf. Lab-generated meat is a subject for another occasion. Dennis, we've covered the waterfront here pretty aggressively in the past few minutes. Thank you for helping clarify what's going on or what isn't happening in China at the moment. We appreciate it. Good to see you. Thank you. You're welcome. Dennis Smith with Archer Financial Services. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. Well, we kept hearing all week that progress was being made on the trade negotiations between China and the United States. But that's really all we heard as the market rebounded and then sold off the next day when it didn't happen. And that's been the story of these ongoing trade negotiations between the U.S. and China. But those negotiations will continue next week. It'll happen not face-to-face. It'll be video conference as they try to reach a deal to resolve that nine-month-old trade war. That's according to White House advisor Larry Kudlow. Chinese Vice Premier Liu He was meeting with U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Stephen Munchen for a third straight day on Friday after President Trump hailed progress in the talks and said a deal could be announced in the next four weeks. The uh, statement by Mr. Kudlow, there's no let up here as this is an ongoing process. The U.S. seeking reforms to Chinese practices that it says result in the theft of U.S. intellectual property and the forced transfer of technology from U.S. companies to Chinese firms. Washington also has demanded that Beijing curb industrial subsidies and open its economy wider to U.S. companies and that it increased purchases of U.S. goods, including farm and energy commodities. He said, we are making headway in a lot of areas, but he said there is still a ways to go. One of the problems and sticking points agriculturally is China's lengthy approval process for GMOs, genetically modified crops. It's a sticking point in the talks, to end the trade war because Beijing has taken years to approve new strains of GMO crops, which U.S. companies and farmers have complained stalls trade by restricting the sales of new products from companies such as Dow DuPont, Bayer, and Syngenta. The issue is one of a host of U.S. complaints that the administration is demanding that China address if it wants to end trade disputes that have cost both countries billions of dollars and slowed the global economy. 
On the trade issue, of course, something else happened this week. That was the threat of President Trump to close the border between the United States and Mexico. That would have a great impact on many agricultural products that are exported into Mexico, as well as Mexican products that are imported into the United States, particularly fruits and vegetables this time of the year. And by the end of the week, it seemed maybe the president was kind of backing off from a total shutdown and looking for ways to just do a partial shutdown of the border. But no question that uh, it's continuing to create problems along the Mexican-U.S. border. And the problem on the other side is all of the, uh, I shouldn't say laborers, but people from Central America particularly, who are being dumped here in cities like Phoenix and Scottsdale, San Diego, with no place to go. And that's creating a social problem as well. Another note about crop production, Argentina's soy harvest has progressed at a brisk pace over recent days, showing excellent yields, and they could push the soybean crop in Argentina higher than the currently forecast 53 million tons. That's according to the Buenos Aires uh, uh, grain exchange. Oh, and one other report on trade. Canadian Foreign Minister Christia Freeland this week cautioned against the idea of reopening a new continental trade agreement with the United States and Mexico, saying it could be a Pandora's box. Guess who's asking for the opening? House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She said changes needed to be made to the text of that agreement to ensure its labor provisions could be enforced. But uh, Canada made it pretty plain that uh, they're not going back into negotiations to take a look at that situation. That's our time for this week. Thank you for joining us. We'll look for your company again next week on The Markets.